Jesus presented himself to his disciples, alive after his suffering, by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascension is a moment of loss, of leaving, of letting go. We consider it a moment of triumph, right? His holy ascension into heaven. But think about what it would have been like for those disciples. They had him, and then they lost him in the tomb. And then they got him back, and they had to let him go again. Would, it, would he come? Would, would the spirit come again? The ascension for them was like a what the heck moment. We just conquered death. We're good to go. And he's like, all right, I have to go. Again, what do you think it was like? I'm really curious. If you could put yourself in that position, in that moment, that day, because this is not myth, this is not fable, this is history. These are eyewitness accounts. So however that worked spiritually, in the power of God, Jesus was taken from their sight in that moment, and they were left there without him. With just a promise that if they waited just a little bit longer, and if they didn't go anywhere, but if they stayed in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit would give them power. And then they would be ready to go out. Then would be Jerusalem. Then would be Judea. Then would be Samaria. Then would be the ends of the earth. But not yet. Now I'm just going to leave you alone for a little while. Can you trust me again to keep another promise of waiting and then power? Can you picture it? Like, what would, please, give me some thoughts. Let's try to paint that moment, because that's the basis that we're building our conversation on this morning. And I'd love to just think about what it was like for them. What do you think they felt? Sally. I'm just thinking in relation to us. We have the Holy Spirit. And they didn't yet. And I think, wow, that was an incredible test. Yeah, we pray inwardly, right, and upwardly. They, they were kind of not there yet. It was another absence moment. Larry, what do you think? A moment of unbelief? Maybe. Hmm. I mean, you believe and then you're like, wait a minute. And then there's a moment of unbelief until you're convinced again. Mm -hmm. You have to keep fighting for that faith. You have it and then it slips and then, yeah, right. Sandra. I think it would have been terrifying. Scary. I think it would have been okay. like, we love him and he's leaving in this fear of like, he said he'll come back, but will he? Yeah. You know, just, 
right? Again, with the faith thing. Why not just proof and like guarantee and tangible again with this faith thing Jesus keeps doing? Do you trust me again? Still does it to us today in the same way. Makes us wait for things that he promises and sometimes our faith slips in those moments. So yeah, I think that might have been happening to them. What do you think, Tony? Also, maybe not for all, but for few, that was an incredible miracle mm. of the amazement and the power of who Jesus was. Good. They've only seen him as a human and they did touch his glorified body, but to see him ascending, they, they were like, oh my goodness, probably their brains were like, oh, he's the Messiah, but then, well, we don't know, but now, oh no, he actually is. Look, he's like, he's gone. So it was a, an amazement of the power that this was got between them. You know? so. Yeah. Because only three got to see him on the Mount of Transfiguration, the other kind of glorifying moment, right? Yeah. Only three. But now it's all of them. The whole church at that time, the disciples are just all seeing what they heard from others. Now they see for themselves, but yeah, glory. Danny. I think like if I if I try to put myself in that time, yeah. in, yeah. That, in that place, uh, I'm in the midst with them, you know. The thirteenth disciple <laughs> tells Peter to shut up. Um, but seriously, back back then, you know, we need to keep in mind sometimes that it's easy for us to sit in judgment upon those who went before us, because we have the four gospels written down for us. We have Acts written down for us. Right? We have all the epistles. Right? They didn't, and it, you know, in another in another uh, in another account of the ascension of Jesus. The author makes it very clear. Like they worshipped him, but some doubted. Like so even if they had their resurrected savior back, right. he proved himself. Right. And yet there was still some doubt. I, I think when I consider like my faith walk with the Lord, I think back then, be, between the time of, of his ascension, because I, I felt like you were describing me when you were talking about like that. And I was like, see ya, gotta go. Like, what? Um, but I think between that time and that amazing first outpouring of, of the Holy Spirit on, on, uh, on the church, I, I think I would have, I think I would have doubted. I think I would have wavered. I think there would have been the up and, you know, that up and down. And depending on like which friend I was talking, talking yeah. with, right? Talking, talking with, you know, Martha's little sister Mary, I might have been content with like, let's just sit, let's just trust, let's just trust. He's doing something, we don't know what's going on, but we need to continue on with our lives. But let's continue to trust in Jesus. And, you know, if I was walking like with one of the guys, you know, might have been more like, you know, like an Emmaus kind of thing before Jesus like walked up to those two disciples. Like, man, like we had all these plans and he left us. Like, what's that? So, yeah, so well said. I love it. I love it. Ellen? Um, I'm just kind of thinking of being maybe a disappointment to them because, you know, they thought Jesus was coming and they, they were going to own the world. They were the chosen people and they were going to be lifted up and everything. He was going to be their king and everything was going to be fine. And then he leaves and he goes, you know, I'll be back, but he hasn't come yet. So, you know, what a disappointment it was to, to the people there that were relying on him for to become the king and them to become the chosen people and um, them not being. So, I, I, I just wonder I, if I wouldn't have felt some of that. Like, oh, I thought everything was going to be fine now. He's back, you know, and then he leaves again. But that's my thought. Yeah, well said. I think the choice of the word joy. And they worship him and return 
spiritual truths with great joy. I'm going to study the word joy. It's not happiness like uh, we're celebrating, mm. but it's the confidence that he's accomplished mm. something and they worshiped blessing him in the temple. So yeah. they didn't know what to do. It's not like and they went out into all the world and spread the gospel. But they saw him, they were reminded of his faithfulness to them, and they went back to the temple to worship him and wait. So um, you, you, can, you can experience joy and doubt at the same time. <laughs> at the same time. That is the message for this morning, in a nutshell. I'll sit down now, we're done. <laughs> Sorry. Something else occurred to me, and I think it's cultural. Um, they were taught to remember. You know, over and over again, they were taught to remember, remember what God has done for you. And also, they were taught that a Messiah was coming. Mm -hmm. So maybe there was more hope and understanding there than, than we realize. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Come I just think about Jesus as a leader to someone who's like probably spending a lot of time, you know, coaching his his big twelve to yeah. do a thing that's never really been replicated in history since then, to just spread the gospel and like the understanding of what happened when Jesus walked the earth. Mm. Like that didn't die anywhere along the way. So I imagine mm. he must have been a very effective leader in some way in those 40 days with them to probably help them understand some things mm. that were still loose <laughs> threads and to get them and prepare them and make them ready for sort of what they were up to next because that was a pretty big task that was ahead of them. Yeah. Well, the preparation to that point says that he was with them for 40 days teaching them about the kingdom of God. It's like... He's just telling them what to expect. He's telling them what happened. It, it, you know, what is death? What happens after? What is life? What's the kingdom on earth? What's the, they just explain the whole thing. So he knew they were ready. It was time, and he had to go so that they would do it. Otherwise, they would just keep leaning on him. He'd be the, the one instead of the many. Uh, Andy, what were you thinking? I was just reading through that section again. Um, yeah. You know, they still have those doubts right there, but he's going through the scriptures with them and telling mm -hmm. the scriptures. Phrase that came up to me or stands out is he opened their minds to understanding the scriptures. So yeah. without him, we have don't have that understanding. Right? I mean, in that point in my life, I did not grow up in a church. And there was a time that okay, I could tell you these stories, but I just didn't get it. Yeah. A certain time in my life where I finally got it. And it's without him being active in our lives, or us being seeking, working, walking with him. It's all coming out us. Right. So well said. So well said. Yeah, Ilya. I think the two words that came to mind are, are bewildered and exhausted. Okay. Um, like with the waiting yeah. and like everything that had happened yeah. and just like, oh, he's back. Oh, yeah. he's gone again. Oh, okay. And just everything that had happened and everything that they've been hoping for and the promises that they were yeah. hoping for fulfillment and. To, and as someone who feels like I've spent a whole lot of my life just waiting for things to happen, um, it's exhausting. So like it must have been a, like a difficult place to be in and to continue to hope um, and also to not have the Holy Spirit, right? Like it's just like, you know, there's 
joy, but then there's also, you know, those conflicting, like, tensions as well. Right. Yeah, I can identify with this, too. Like, that feels real to me. And, um, I don't know how I would have reacted there, but you see the both, that, that things being held in tension. There's both the hope, and there's the doubt, there's the belief, and the glory, and there's the absence and law. It's there together, and that is, quite simply, what I want us to think about this morning together. Um, you know, I thought we were done with the, the Christian experimentation sermons, but this one effectively turns into one more. Maybe God will just keep them coming. Um, but the Christian skill set that the Bible gives us in times of loss that doesn't leave us just with absence and the, the nothing, the Christian practice there, the ancient practice is called a lament called lamenting. And it's similar to grieving, but it's not grieving. It's not just this, you know, five-step process of, what is the five-step? I think I wrote them down so I wouldn't uh, forget them. Uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. You know, as we study human nature, we, we kind of go through these stages when we experience the, the death of a loved one. We lose a job. Uh, when we move somewhere, <coughs> when, when a dream dies on the vine, we experience disappointment, disillusion, all those sorts of things. Uh, even for some of us here in the church, we're going to have a loss of this place, this chapel building, as we go to a new place. So we may simultaneously have joy in something new, but also like this bittersweet, I miss what once was. And the lament in God's eyes, what he's given us, is holding in tension the grief and the hope. It's actually a, a spiritual practice of lament. We're going to read a lament that's recorded in one of the Psalms and look at how the psalmist kind of wrestles with this. But the world sort of thinks of us as moving in stages, and we sometimes fall into the trap. As soon as I'm rested up, then I'll have the patience I need to be the parent I need. When I get the next check, then I'll be able to have more reassurance that I can pay the next bill. Like our Christian character, our faith, everything is determined upon something that if that happens, then I'll be freed up to be the person that God wants me to be. When God answers my prayer and when he heals me from cancer, then I'll be able to rejoice. But that's not the pattern that God gives us. That's the world recognizing us moving through stages, but it sets you up in a weird thing. We have to go through our anger to get to our acceptance. What about God saying, you can both be angry of your situation and trust God in it and accept that he will lead you through. It's not from anger to acceptance. It can be anger and acceptance in the same exact second. Lamenting is holding things in tension in the same hand holding our complaints to the Lord. This is not good, God. I don't like it. I want it done. And in the same hand we hold and, and I trust you and you're good. A lament is an and sort of thing, not an if. If this happens, then I will praise you. No, I will praise you before that happens, because you are still good even if that never happens. It's not a once. Once this happens, then I'll be free to... Mm -mm. No, because guess what? We're never going to be free of all the problems, all the trials, all the doubts, all the struggles, so we'll never be that imaginary version of ourselves that's free to have faith unencumbered by the troubles of the world. That's called death. 
when we're done with the troubles of the world. So that will come, but in this life, Jesus said, you will have trouble, but take heart as we sang, I have overcome the world. So there's this tension. Lamenting holds things together that seem like opposites, and the world wants us to kind of like focus. Focus on your pain, and then we can work through it and get to joy. No, hold your pain right up against your joy and say, God is good in the same breath. Because God's not dependent on our circumstances. And if we don't remind ourselves of our hope in the middle of our pain, we're going to stay in the pain. And that's not where we're going to find our freedom and our joy. The thought that occurred to me is if you look back at God's people, be it the Jewish people, uh, be it Christians that are grafted in, the Gentiles, ah, we've never had it easy. God's people have never had it easy. God's people are a suffering people forever. So for us to think, and we get tempted by this, if I just have one more convenience in my home, then, then life will be easier. If we can just get that vacation home, then when I get there, then everything, all my worries will melt away. I can get away from it all. If I can just get to that vacation, if I can, right? But look, if we can make it easier, then we'll be better. That's just not what historically God's people have looked like, so I don't know how realistic it is to want that for ourselves. And yet you see people with tremendous faith and tremendous joy going through things far harder than we've experienced ourselves. So I don't think it's a get through it. I don't think it's a light at the end of the tunnel and there's good stuff as long as we struggle for a while, suffer for a while, then we'll get to the good. No, it's the good in the tough. It's God with us in the, in the hard times. Christians are survivors. They don't have it easy, but God carries us through. So lamenting is not just a description of our emotional stages. Uh, grief is like an emotional, can be a physical reaction to pain. It's a normal way that God's made us. Uh, but lament is a strategy. A lament is an approach. A lament is a practice whereby we address our grief and feel it. We don't want to be the fake Christians. How are you doing? Everything's fine. And inwardly, you're just crumbling in pain. No. No fake. But you say, I'm feeling like I'm crumbling, and that's why I'm hanging on to God, because he never crumbles. Right? It's together. The pain and the hope all in the same breath. So it's a strategy. But if in our pain we keep reminding the memory, reminding ourselves of God's goodness, it actually does lift us out of our pain. <laughs> Perhaps you know some people that their pain is their identity. All they do is talk about their pain. It's what they're known for. It's how they start and end conversations. And every conversation will come back to the things that they're struggling with. So are we supposed to dismiss their pain? Stop talking about that all the time. It's pain. You can't stop feeling it. But it's precisely because there isn't hope in the pain, and the pain never stops. And they've settled to the pain being their reality that we've lost the gospel there. We've lost Jesus. We've lost hope. But that's not where we're meant to end up. We're meant to say, okay, this is real, but, and, God. So if you'd read a lament with me from the Psalms, we're going to read Psalm 22. I'd like to point out the different parts of it to us. I'd like to think about how it relates to the gospel. This is a gospel-based sermon because people without hope, what's that? <laughs> that's us without Jesus. If there is no Jesus, we are stuck in our pain. Suck it up. Get through the best you can. But the gospel is that there's pain and there's hope in Christ that we can be delivered. That if he could rise from the dead, we can rise from our death. 
things in us that have died. Psalm 22. We'll read this together. We'll talk about the gospel a little bit. And then if we have time, um, I'd like to give us time to kind of write our own lament, whether you physically write it down or whether you just think about it. So I'd like you to be trying to identify in your own life the things that are your discouragements, your failures, your losses, the things that are missing, the things that are failing, the things that are hurtful. If you've lost a loved one, the absence of that person in your life. I want you to think about that and I'd like to create space where it's just okay to feel sad about those things without feeling like I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to be okay, right? We believe in Jesus and there's hope. No, it's okay to just fall apart sometimes. It's the right thing to do. Jesus wept. God grieves. That's good. And we hang on to that anchor, that hope in the Lord. So if we have time, if not, I'm going to commission us to make that our exercise this week to think about those areas and to write ourselves a lament to the Lord. So here we are. This is King David. Psalm 22. This one has a preface. It says, To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. So this was originally written to music. This could have been sung by the choir master, led for the congregation to sing this psalm. Psalm means song. This poem aloud. It would be an interesting one. Think about what it would be like to be singing these words out loud. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am but a worm, not a man, scorned by mankind despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you, even at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. 
You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried out to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him, and it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Do you see the elements in this lament? Uh, scholars have written, uh, have kind of analyzed many of the lament scripture. There are many in Psalms, but there are others in other portions of scripture. Uh, Lamentations 3 is my personal favorite, and I was just tempted to read it, but I use that as my example all the time. Like, no, you can find Lamentations 3, and if you haven't learned it from me now, then I don't need to give it to you one more time. But that is my personal favorite. Um, Psalm 22 is another one of these just beautiful examples of how to lament. This is more than grieving. This is more than grieving. And, and we were told it's good to grieve, right? Let your emotions out. That's true. If we bottle them up, they explode at very inopportune times on poor, unsuspecting bystanders, usually. Don't bottle your emotions. But also, you can't just sit in them forever. So God gives us lament. This process of saying, everyone is out to get me. Everything is failing on me, but I know you're good, and you've done this in the past, and you're going to do it again, and somehow this is going to result in you getting glory. It's a wonderful explanation of it. And so scholars, as I've looked at all these laments, they've seen um, that there's always an outcry in it. Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, my God, why have you forsaken me? If we're going to write our own lament, if you're going to lament, start by just calling on the name of the Lord. <coughs> Dear God, please help. Jesus, save me. Hosanna, that's what it means, right? Jesus, Hosanna, come save us. Know who you're talking to. This is not self-talk. This is not power of positive thinking. <coughs> there is a God who delivers the people that trust him. So you're calling to him. So there's always this outcry. It's a part of a biblical lament. It's, it's like the our Father who art in heaven. It's the beginning of the right kind of a prayer. Put God first. Know who you're speaking to. Oh, there's always that. There is always a complaint. Is it okay to complain to God? Yep. It's fine. It's fine. You're not judging him with error. You're not blaming him. Something's bad. And it hurts. It's your complaint. There's something not right. Share it with him. Why? Because he needs to know? Because he wasn't aware of your situation until you prayed? <laughs> Because it's cathartic to state your pain. And because when we see it for what it is, we realize my whole life is not pain. This is the pain. 
this is the tumor, this is the splinter, this is the broken bone, it is not all of me, it is not all of you, it is this, and this is what I need your help with. Stating it focuses and allows us permission to say, but in this other area, you can still be good. My pain is not the totality of my life. I am not identified by my pain. It is a thorn in my side, and thorns come out. And God's the great healer and the great surgeon, and he'll take care. Like, it's that thing. It's a puzzle where one of the pieces is missing, but there's still a great big beautiful picture all around that missing piece and space. That's what it does. We name that. We complain to the Lord what is not good so that we can see that it's just this that's not good. You are good. There's always a statement of trust in every one of the laments, but in you, Lord, I will put my trust. In matters of healings, we tend to put our trust in our medicine and our doctors, and that is good. They are a blessing, but they're the lesser blessing. Trust the Lord. You could have a bad doctor on a bad day, but if you've got a good God, you're going to be fine. You don't need the best doctor in the world. You need God guiding a doctor's hands. We trust God for our healing, even if he uses medicine or uses doctors to bring it to us. Where is your trust? Who do you trust when the money's not there? Who do you trust when marriage is on shaky grounds? Who do you trust when you're afraid? Like, trust, we trust in God. So say that. The lament requires you to speak these things aloud. But I will trust in you, God. You are trustworthy. You are steadfast. We will trust in you. There's always that statement. It's not a biblical lament without it. So if you're thinking of how you could state your lament to the Lord to have him help you lead you through that situation, be sure to include your statement of trust. Uh, there's also a very specific prayer and request. Jesus said, in that day, and we are in this day, ask for the Father in my name, anything that you want, and he will grant it. Pray in the name of Jesus, please help me with this thing. God doesn't always answer the way we ask, because sometimes there's something different that he's doing. But pray for whatever you know to that point, and then let him open your perspective wider as we get further down the road. There has to be prayer. There has to be the request. And the last thing that's always included in these laments is a praise. Praise you, God. Just saying that when you're in pain is a mindset-altering thing. I will praise you, God, when I feel miserable. God, I am so just in agonizing pain, and I praise you. The Bible says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that's more in sort of like the sanctification process, but it certainly happens in the way we think. We take captive every thought. You know, there's this mental battle that goes on every time. And if you can say, you know, the, the back surgery that I need is, is agonizing, but I praise you, God, for you are good. It changes how you feel in that moment. Take our eyes off of ourselves and fix them on the Father. If you remember the second beatitude, <coughs> the first one is just that um, the poor in the spirit will inherit the earth. So there's a statement of our, our poverty and God's greatness. The very next thing that Jesus says is, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. But it just never feels good to mourn. Some of us here were at a funeral just yesterday and mourning the loss 
of a family member unexpectedly, too soon, that sort of loss, and it just feels so traumatic because it is. So our body responds with grief, and that has these different phases to it. But as believers, we apply lament. The principle and the practice of saying, I grieve deeply, and you are good. I feel terrible, and I praise your name. That's how we respond as Christians. I do not know, God, how we will get through this, but you have led so many people through so much in the past. You can lead me through this too. Christians are survivors. God doesn't just give us shortcuts around. It's not like shoots and ladders and you just skip a couple of lanes and get to the end. You've got to go through every <coughs> single square to get to where God is taking you. And you can have joy in that. And God is good. And we look back and we tell stories about how God brought us through. Some people don't make it to the end. They get stuck in a square and they're there forever. They don't have Christ. They don't have freedom. They like die on that square. That's not meant to be us. When we put our trust in Jesus, it doesn't matter what obstacles we hit. <clears throat> he takes us through and if we die tomorrow, or 100 years from now, he takes us through. He calls us home. So if we tie this back to this Ascension Sunday, this day to commemorate the letting go, you kind of ask yourself, what's on the other side of your loss? What's on the other side of your pain? What's on the other side of letting go? What's on the other side of absence, loneliness? fatigue? What's on the other side of struggling with addiction? What's on the other side of failure? What's on the other side of depression? Do you see by just asking that question, we reply there is another side. There is more than these things which seem like they're never going to go away. The feelings of loneliness that so many here, even in our congregation, struggled with and struggle with today be it with marriage, be it with family, be it with faith. What's on the other side of your loneliness? Because there is another side. Because Jesus leads us through. Because that is the gospel. And no, we cannot do it on our own. But yes, he will do it. And yes, he does it. And yes, he's done it. And yes, he will do it. This is the gospel. It requires the walking through the valley of the shadow of death in the middle for there to be a victory, an ascension, a resurrection on the other side. And we're resurrection people. Right? That's what we talked about on Easter Sunday. We're resurrection people. We're not the people who get stuck. We just get slowed down to an imperceptibly slow pace while God is still pulling and dragging us forward because he's not done with us yet. So how can we say it's blessed to mourn? Because we believe that there's another side. And think about how much we're going to appreciate the other side after what the mill has been like. <coughs> I've had conversations with you, Mom. We had conversations with close friends yesterday. Battles with cancer. I've not had that experience in my body, but I've seen and observed and been with family and friends that have. And hands down, all those who get through that and see the other side have a much different perspective on life. If you have friends who are survivors of cancer, they don't see their life the same way that they did before and they don't see it the way we do. It's like this 
precious sort of realization, the, the, the thought that it was really gone, but now it's really back. And, and that's what it's like to be on the other side. And so Jesus challenged their faith again. He said, I'm going to step away from you. In this absence, will you believe in the other side? Will you hold on to the good news that nothing is too difficult for God? That if we put our trust in Jesus, there will be another side. <coughs> That's what he was asking them to do yet again. It's always what he asked them to do. Again and again and again, he was doing things to test their faith, like to, to push it. To say, are you sure that this faith is real in you? Well, here's another experience to, for you to apply it and for you to live it out. And so specifically in the area of grief, we need to learn how to lament. We need to cry out to the Lord, offer him our complaint, state our trust in him, pray our prayer to him, and praise him no matter what. So I think we do have time, and I would love to give us a few moments here. Maybe I'll just play some on the piano. Uh, just for some music to, to think with and to be in the background. Um, many of you have shared with me um, griefs that you're experiencing. could be in regards to your children. Uh, could be in regards to your health. I, I feel like in this season of our church, for those of us who have been in this building for a long time, or even were predated this building, so we saw God do a blessed thing here, it's okay to feel sad that we're moving away from here and to feel also that God is doing something good. So if that's part of the lament for you in this morning, then uh, look around and appreciate what God does and know that if he could do this, he can do that. For those of you that have lost loved ones, uh, take a moment to just tell God how that feels. Cry before him if you feel the tears coming. Because know that there is another side to healing. Lamenting is a healing process. It doesn't just say you're sad, I'm sorry. It says God heals a wounded heart. So please take a few moments, think to yourself, you got a phone, you want to write the lament down, your notes. If you grabbed a piece of paper on your way in, you'd like to jot something down, there is something very beautiful about the practice of forming those sentences. And... Um, even if you don't complete it, I think that would be how I'd like us to spend our time together this morning. Just acknowledging loss before the Lord and trusting Him with it. And in a few moments, we'll, we'll move forward to communion. Maybe five minutes or so, just enough time to kind of think and talk to the Lord.